Thank you guys very much. Isn't it great, uh, good to have Andrew Schmidt back over here on electric? <laughs> Trying to coerce him to stay here permanently. We miss him. He's, um, he has gotten married since last time he's been here. So, yes. He's studying at John Hopkins. I'm going to embarrass you all while you're walking off stage. Johns Hopkins. Is that right? Someplace up north. And uh, he's serving at a church up there leading worship. And, uh, and he um, uh, works in agriculture conservation. I don't know what we're, I don't know what we're doing. If you have agriculture, he conserves it somehow. So... No, it's great to have him back. So I was excited for the opportunity to, to worship alongside of him. Uh, I wanted to remind you just quickly, next week we, we go to three services. Um, uh, the times are 8.15, 9.45, and 11.15. So if you show up at 9 o'clock, you're either going to be uh, late for the 8.15 or super early for the 9.45 service. So just mark that in your calendars, 8.15, 9.45 and 11.15. Um, if you have your Bibles, what I want to do is continue on with uh, John chapter 10, pick up where we left off last week. Um, and my hope is, and I, hopefully this will, I'm going to have to grab this mic down here. I'm going to go ahead and do that. Let's start over. Uh, I want to continue in John chapter 10 this week. Uh, we, we looked at the first 21 verses, and, and there's 42 verses total, so I want to, I want to look at verses 22, taking us all the way to verse 42. And, and, and I'll, I'll bring this up later on in the sermon, but, but my hope is this. For the believer this morning, my hope is that, that um, this will strengthen your faith in the Lord, that, that you'll recognize that you have a firm foundation in the confession that you make when you proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I also hope if, if there's a skeptic in this room or an unbeliever, someone who hasn't embraced the gospel message of Jesus Christ, my prayer is that you'll see that, that this is true and it's trustworthy and it's eternal. And, and, and my, my hope is that your affections would be, would be shifted toward your sin and toward Jesus Christ and that, that you would join along with us in making the confession that Jesus is Lord. And, and in my mind, this sermon this morning, it works kind of con connected to last week. Um, and, 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 and we could put it together and, and, and the sermons support each other. Um, if you weren't here last week, don't, don't, uh, don't fret. Um, I, my, my hope is that I, I preach it in a way that the sermon can stand alone as well. Um, but I would like for my, my final point last week, which is our confession is either that, that Jesus is, is either a liar or God in the flesh, what I want to do this morning is spend time teasing that out a bit, okay, and, and looking uh, further into who Jesus is and how we should um, uh, uh, respond to the identity of Christ. Um, I, uh, in a Methodist church where I grew up, there was a, uh, there was a pastor who was spending a lot of time on a, um, a certain point one day, and in uh, uh, the Methodist church, you know, the, the pastors don't stay put as long as uh, pastor Sean's been here for a very long time, so they kind of filter in and out. And so this pastor was making a point one day, and I think a lady in the congregation, uh, she got a, a bit hungry and a bit annoyed that he kept spending time on this one point, and she decided to stand up and say, we got it, pastor, next point. Please don't do that to me this morning, right? We're, we're going to spend time, and, and if you get hungry, just there's some, uh, well, we don't have refreshments, but grab a cup of coffee, sit tight. Um, 
I, I don't want our confession to, I don't want us to say, I, I've got it next point when it comes to Jesus, right? It's, it's Jesus is, the, if we ever get past that, if we ever get past the gospel, if we ever get past the identity of Christ, if we ever get past the way that we should respond to him, then uh, we're missing the mark, aren't we? We can't, we can't, we can't ever exhaust who Jesus is. I, I love, uh, actually, in the very last verse in the Gospel of John, John makes this confession. He says, in John chapter 21, verse 25, he says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did, and were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the, the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Isn't that a wonderful statement? Man, Jesus is he's inexhaustible. And so we're going to spend some more time uh, looking at who, uh, who this guy is, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so my prayer is that we never grow exhausted of examining the life of Jesus. And so let's pray together, and then we're going to jump right in. Heavenly Father, I, uh, God, I hope that when we approach the Gospels together, and as we study and as we worship in our daily life, and we dissect everything that you are for us in Christ, that our hearts would continue to be broken. Lord, I, I'm so prone to have a hard heart. Um, Lord, I'm so prone to just going through, getting bogged down in the mundane things of life that I grow I desensitized to, to your spirit and to your leading and and, and to looking at this book as, as living and active, knowing that every time I read it, I can get something from it because you're living and active. And so, Lord, I pray um, Lord, that you would give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and God, the humility to grow strong in the confession that we make. Lord, and that that confession would lead us to take you seriously and to take... Uh, God, our call to, to, to tell people about you seriously. So thank you again, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there's one there in front of you. Please take that uh, with you. That's our gift to you. But we're going to be, uh, like I said, verses 22 through 42, and, uh, and we'll pick up there. The text says, at, at the, that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not a part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are what? Are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone them and Jesus answered them, Have I shown you many good works from the Father? For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, and it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, that you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blasphemy, because I said I am the Son of God? If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, 
Even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. This text for us, it marks the end of Jesus, his, his public ministry. At no point after this in the Gospel of John um, do we see Jesus addressing crowds of people. Uh, at the close of our text this morning, Jesus, uh, from there on out, only spends time with his, his close companions. And so let me give you a little bit of background of where we are in our text, okay? Um, I don't know how much time has passed from uh, the, the dialogue that he had with the Pharisees uh, on the text that we looked at last week, but not a lot of time has passed, um, and uh, we have every reason to believe that he's He's talking to the same Jew, the same Jewish leaders as he was talking to in the first 21 verses. Okay, it was it was um, uh, uh, what's called the uh, the feast of dedication. You guys know it better as Hanukkah, and um, and what that is. It was a, that's a feast that uh, Hanukkah is not a holiday that was established by God in the Old Testament. It was something that happened during the intertestamental period. Okay, in between the times that the Old Testament and the New Testament were written. And uh, it was a guy by the name of uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. That's the Georgian pronunciation for it. Okay, he was a, a, a Syrian who was really oppressing the Jewish leaders, and uh, and he was uh, 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 very harsh toward the Jews, very harsh toward um, uh, their religion. Very, uh, uh, he was just a bad guy. Okay, and uh, and they were oppressed by him for a while. And finally, this movement happened called the Maccabean Revolt, where the Jews said enough is enough, and they were able to overthrow him and, uh, and um, again, uh, live freely. And so um, to celebrate that, that happened around 164 B.C., around Christmas time, which is why Jews celebrate Hanukkah at Christmas time. They're celebrating their freedom from, from Syrian persecution, Syrian oppression, okay? And so, so that's what's going on right now. And Jesus is in Solomon's porch, and, and, and that was a place that a lot of people would gather, especially during the winter, to stay away from the, the weather. And so he's in the, he's in the middle of Solomon's porch. He's talking. Uh, he's doing ministry. He's He's uh, doing miracles. The Jews come up, they circle him, and they ask him, if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Okay? They're celebrating their, the Hanukkah, Jesus' is teaching. They circle him. They say, if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. So do, do the Jewish leaders, do they have a legitimate question? Has, has Jesus minced words about his identity on any level. That's what we need to look at. And this is the exchange they make in verses 22 through 25. It says, At that time, the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you were the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, and this is key. He said what? I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. The answer that Jesus gives is, I, we've been over this. Right? I've, I've told you this before. Hey, in, in John chapter 4, Jesus calls himself the Messiah. In John chapter 6, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. In John chapter 8, Jesus calls himself the light of the world. In John eight fifty eight. Jesus makes this statement, before Abraham was, 
I am. Remember last week we, we examined Ezekiel 34 and kind of compared that to Jesus, his confession that he's a good shepherd. And in Ezekiel 34, 15, um, the prophet Ezekiel is, is uh, getting a word from the Lord, okay? And so it says, God is speaking to us. Ezekiel declares, he says, I, this is God speaking, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. And then Jesus turns around in our passage in John chapter 10, and he says, I, that's me. I'm the good shepherd. That's me that that, that prophecy is talking about. And when we look at all of that, all that evidence... And Jesus says, I've, I've told you this already. We can look back just in the Gospel of John and say, yeah, he said it time and time again. Any, any good Jew would, would understand that Jesus is claiming to be God incarnate, God in the flesh. He's claiming to, to be the Messiah. That's what Christ means as the Messiah. Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? And the Jews in our final part of our text last week, they responded in what I think is an appropriate response uh, to the claims that Jesus is making about himself. In John chapter 10, the last couple of verses that we covered last week, the Jews responded. It says, many of them says, said, he has a demon and he's insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these, are, these aren't the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So here we are again. A little time has passed, and they ask, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? So what's the hang-up here? Why do the Jews continue to ask Jesus a question that he's already answered, clearly answered, clearly look back to the Old Testament and said, I'm the fulfillment of those prophecies? What's the hang-up here? I believe it comes down to one word. That's unbelief. Unbelief. Unbelief produces ignorance and a hard heart. Unbelief produces ignorance and a hard heart. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the Apostle Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The Jews are only interested in the execution of Jesus. They have no interest in whether or not Jesus is really the Messiah. They they aren't looking for the truth at all, only for an excuse to stone him. See, they've, they've, they've reached their conclusion about Jesus already, long before they asked Jesus to tell them plainly. They've already reached the conclusion. Now, how many times do we approach our life this way? Men, how many times do, if you're anything like me, you... you, you you have the temptation to, to have a conclusion and to an investigate in a way that leads your, to your desired conclusion, even if your conclusion isn't accurate. Women know that, right? It's what we do. That's what we do. Sometimes I can be a hypochondriac. I diagnosed myself one time with popcorn lung. You ever heard that? There's dozens of us. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's a disease that you can get that's irreversible, that it comes from sniffing too much buttery popcorn. Saw it on the news one day. The symptoms were tired, coughing, stomachache, sneezing. I do all those. All those happen to me. I'm like, I think, I think I got that. I think I got that. So I went to WebMD, like you should. You know, you Google the disease that you think you have, right? And I come to the conclusion, I have this, I'm dying, it's irreversible, I need to go to the doctor. Right? And that is, that's ridiculous, isn't it? That's ridiculous that I, I would say that I have the popcorn lung, but there's a point here. 
I know it's ridiculous, but that's the way we approach Jesus sometimes, right? Like we, we just have this conclusion about him. Um, and, and even without the evidence, looking, examining the evidence that's offered surrounding his identity, uh, we, just, we just jump to a certain conclusion. I'm, I'm not going to believe that. I refuse to believe that. Men, how many, uh, don't answer this out loud, just in, in your mind, but h- how many of you are in the room this morning that you're here because your wife asked you to come week in and week out, and you hear the message week in and week out, but your heart's unaffected by the message that you hear in this building? Let me give you a part of your problem. You fail to look objectively at the things that you hear in this building. You fail to look objectively at it. You've already reached your conclusion about it. You, you aren't seeking for an answer. And I'm just saying, like, man, there's women in here that do the same thing. Teenagers, some of you come just because your parents drag you out of the bed every morning, which is a good thing they drag you out of the bed every morning. You come to youth group on Wednesday nights, and, and, and you, you hear Josh preach on the gospel, but your heart's unaffected because you've already reached a conclusion. You're not listening. You're not, you're not, you're not seeking for the truth. It's not a lack of information to you. It's the fact that you couldn't care less about the evidence that's presented. You know, no serious historian doubts or questions the existence of Jesus. It's foolish to do that. The evidence is stacked against that historian. We can even look outside the Bible to establish the historicity of Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary and Joseph. There's a book, I didn't write it in, in, your, in your notes this morning, but I would encourage you to pick it up and read it. There's a book by Gary Habermas called The Historical Jesus that deals all about uh, the man in history called Jesus. And so it, if Jesus is an actual historical person, he, he, he lived in history, and we have very early manuscripts written by eyewitnesses during the life of other eyewitnesses, and just in John alone, we have documented actions pointing to the divinity of Christ, such as in the first part of John chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine. John, later in John 2, Jesus cleanses the temple. John 4, Jesus heals the royal official's son. In John 5, Jesus heals a lame man. In John 6, he feeds the multitudes. In John 9, he heals the blind beggar. And then in John chapter 11, the passage, the chapter directly after the chapter that we're talking about this morning, he raises Lazarus from the dead. If we have that, if we know he's a historical person and we have documented evidence and we have early testimonies about the man they call Jesus, then isn't it worth setting aside any preconceived notions that you may have about this man and examine him and his claims honestly? We'll come back to that in just a little bit. Let's move on for the sake of time. The second thing we see from this passage, and I have six of these. God is absolutely sovereign over salvation. Verses 26 through 27, uh, John's uh, quoting Jesus here. Jesus says, But you do not believe because you are not a part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Um, This passage, I believe, it shows us the difference between uh, the mind of God and the mind of man. Our text this morning um, is like a sandwich. I'm talking about food a lot, aren't you? You getting hungry? Um, It's like a sandwich, okay? And so we, and just truck with me for a moment. The we have Jesus holding the Jewish leaders responsible for how they respond to him, okay? And then he turns around and he says that. 
uh, essentially God is sovereign over salvation. And then later we're going to look at Jesus holding the Jews accountable again for what they do with him and his claims. Let that simmer for a moment. Now, this is where the divine sovereignty of God is side by side with human responsibility. How is that possible? How can God set aside his flock before the foundation of the world based on his good character? And how could Jesus make statements like John 15, 16 that says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And then later, uh, um, uh, earlier in John 6, Jesus states, no man can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. How can Jesus make statements like that, but also hold man accountable for what he does with the gospel message? See, Scripture's clear. God chose you. You didn't choose him, yet he holds you responsible for rejecting him. That's not difficult to grasp, right? How is it possible are you ready for the mind-blowing answer to that question that people have been asking since Bible times? Pen and, pen and paper ready? Here's the answer. I don't know. <laughs> I, have no, I have no idea. All right. I, have no, I have no clue how that works out. But, but, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Hey, God is infinite. I'm finite. My thinking and understanding is limited. And, and can't we all agree that, that it's good that God does things differently than we do things? That's a good thing, isn't it? Hey, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, I'm reminded of, of how limited I am. The Apostle Paul says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Hey, there's a tension to be managed here, and I'm fully aware that this is a tension that a skeptic of Christianity isn't willing to wrestle with, but this is a tension that I believe and I accept the mystery of it. Just like I accept the mystery of the Trinity. God is one, God is three. I don't know how to explain that, but it's clear in Scripture. I'm okay with not understanding the mind of God. I'm okay that my so-called free will is, is restrained and limited by a sovereign God, and yet I'm held accountable for my actions. You know why? It brings me comfort that I serve a God who's in control of this beautiful mess of a life. My beautiful, messy, crazy life. And so praise the Lord Almighty that we serve a God who's sovereign over salvation because I don't want to be sovereign over my salvation. I'll mess it up. And my guess is, is that you're not a whole lot different than I am. And because God, this is the beautiful thing about it, because God is sovereign over salvation, we can have this confidence. Point three, salvation is permanent because no one is more powerful than our God. Salvation is permanent because no one is more powerful than our God. Verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Okay, follow me here for just a moment. The text is saying that, that God, okay, here's, here we are as the, the sheep, okay, that John 10 uses that language to describe us many times uh, amongst other passages, but uh, here we are. God's sheep, we're, we're in his hands, okay? God, I'm speaking of God the Father, okay? 
God gives us his redeemed into Jesus' hand, okay? And Jesus gives us eternal life, and we will never perish, and no one will snatch us out of the hand of Jesus, and no one will snatch us out of the Father's hands. God gives you to Jesus, yet God still has you in his hands. Why? Jesus answers that. He says, I and the Father am one. I actually look at it like I wish I wasn't holding a mic because then I could show you as if here we are right here, right smack in the middle. I and the Father am one. Immediately, the Jewish leaders, they would have thought of Deuteronomy 6.4, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this verse was recited at every, every worship service held by the Jewish leaders. This, is, this passage, it shows us the distinct roles of God the Father and God the Son, but also the oneness that they share. God is one, God is three. God the Father gives the sheep to Jesus, but he still has the sheep in his hands because God the Father and God the Son are one God. So here Jesus is, he's not only clarifying his identity even further, but he's doing it in a beautiful way. He's telling us about his identity through the relationship that he shares with you and I. This is where doctrine and relationship intersect. And we can have confidence in our salvation because it's God himself who holds us securely. This is where where studying doctrine and theology, that's where it should always lead you. If you're looking at at doctrine and theology as something that isn't relevant to you and and, and you're just going to worship Jesus, the problem isn't doctrine and theology. The problem is, is that you're looking at it wrong. You're looking at doctrine and theology wrong. You can't worship in spirit and in truth without a proper understanding of God and his word. Doctrine and theology, it isn't divorced from our relationship with God. When you approach it properly, it deepens our relationship with God, which is what we see here understanding the unique roles of the Trinity, but their oneness and knowing that that's the foundation with which we can stand in confidence and say, I am redeemed because God holds me securely. Isn't that incredible? The fourth thing I want to show you this morning, and we talked a lot about this last week. We have to address it again. The identity of Jesus is clear in Scripture. The identity of Jesus is clear in Scripture. Verses 31 through 33 says, The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them. He said, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For for which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for what? A good work, is it? It's not not because this is a good guy that they're going to stone him, okay? But it's for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. And here we come full circle. We, under, we, know, we, we see that the Jews understood exactly who Jesus was claiming to be, but they refused to believe it because their hearts were hardened toward the truth. They don't care about the truth. They aren't looking for the truth. Earlier, I challenged some of you on the hard heart that you display toward Christ and, and his church and the, the gospel message. And if Jesus is in fact a historical person, and he is, and if he claimed to be God, and he does, and those who lived during the time of Jesus and even historical documents and early church writings that aren't a part of the canon of Scripture further testify and strengthen this fact, 
then shouldn't you seriously consider his claims? I would challenge you to take an objective look at Christ. And the amazing thing is the, the Pharisees, their hearts are hardened toward him. Their hearts are hardened toward the gospel. And the question that, that you can't help but to ask is, man, are they too far gone? Are they, are they already past the point of being redeemed? It's that Romans 1 type thing, right? That, that, that God gave them over to their wants, to their desires, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Are, are they at that point yet? We see that Jesus, he gives another opportunity. An objective look at the works of Christ leads one to a right conclusion about Christ. That's what he says here, okay? In verses 34 through 38, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, that you are God's little g? That's important. If he called them God's little g to whom the word of God, capital G, came, and Scripture cannot be broken, okay, Scripture never changes. It's, it's not altered or in any way. Jesus didn't abolish the Old Testament. He fulfilled the Old Testament. So do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I'm the Son of God? If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. What is Jesus doing here? Why does, why does he bring up the God's little g, and where is that at in Scripture? Because he's referring to, you know, Old Testament was already established by this time. It was already accepted as Scripture, okay? So he's appealing to the Jewish leader's authority, the Old Testament, and saying um, he's using a, a, a lesser to the greater argument, okay? He's alluding to Psalm 82, verses 5 through 7, and you don't have this. It's not up here, but I'm just going to read it. Just listen closely with me. That passage, Psalm 82, it says, They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I, say, I said, you are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. I mean, Jesus here, he's referring to the judges and the kings that, that God used to do his bidding, even though many of these, these kings were, were wicked rulers. Uh, they were referred to as God's little g. And so what Jesus is saying is, listen, you're getting hung up on a word here. Okay? You're getting hung up on this word. If, if He's saying if, um, if these rulers in the Old Testament that were wicked were called God's little g, then how much more should me, the Messiah, the one set apart, sent, doing the Father's work, how much more shall I be lifted up and called God, capital G. And he even goes further and says, if you, listen, if you, don't, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe who I am, if you don't believe what I'm claiming, look at my works. Look at what I'm doing. Examine those because that's going to lead you to the right conclusion about who I am. You know, that's, that's what miracles do, you know. That's, that's what, that was their purpose, in Bible times, they were to validate the identity of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is saying, not only am I telling you that I'm the Messiah and that I'm one with the Father, but you can, you can look at all this stuff that I've done. You can look at all these things that I've claimed to be. You can look at all these prophecies that I've fulfilled, and it will validate the claim that I'm making that I am God. You know what's sad? 
Their hearts were so hardened to this that they attributed the works of God to the works of the devil. That's blasphemy. That's what blasphemy is, isn't it? It's a very depressing end to the public ministry of Jesus. But for some reason, John decided not to end there. Look with me in our, in our final few verses, verses 40 through 42. The Apostle John says, Jesus, he went away across, he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. What a beautiful way to end such a tragic encounter that Jesus had with the unbelieving Jewish leaders. There are two types of people in this world. There's two types of people in this room right now. There's those whose hearts are hardened by the gospel. The more you hear it, the more you reject it because your mind's already made up. And there, there's those in here, and this is my deep prayer for you, and you hear the gospel. You're continually softened. You're broken by the gospel. You're broken by that message every time you hear it. And here Jesus leaves and he crosses over the Jordan. And there's a few things to notice here. Okay, John didn't end on a low note about the ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and, and Jesus, we've seen time and time again, he's performed these miracles. He's challenged the Jewish leaders to look to those miracles to confirm his identity. And, the, and the, the Jewish leaders still rejected him because their hearts are hardened toward the gospel. But here in our closing passage, those final two verses, as if it's just kind of, here it is, and then the close of the scene, right? There's no miracles. There's just the confession. There's the testimony of of John the Baptist, and then Jesus comes. And the text ends with said, and many believed in him there. Many believed in him there. Isn't that a sweet way to end John chapter 10? And many believed in him there. Close the scene. I said this at the beginning of the sermon this morning, and this is my prayer and hope for you, those of you who are in this room who are come from either side of the spectrum, those who are rejecting the gospel or those who are embracing the gospel for the church this morning. How is this relevant to you? You know, you can say amen to the things that I'm saying up here, and praise the Lord for that. This is my hope for this sermon this morning for you. My hope is that you can walk away from this sermon firm in your confession. I want you to walk away firm in your confession. What you believe is true, it's trustworthy, and it's eternal. It's true, it's trustworthy, and eternal. And so take that confidence, be obedient to the Great Commission, and go and share that message. Because what you're sharing is the truth. What you're sharing is exclusive. No man can come to the Father except through the Son. And if we have such a great truth... God forbid that we keep it to ourselves. Go and share that truth. And this morning, if you're in this room and you're the one who's invited constantly to come and you're here with a friend, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad that you decided to, to join us and to kind of figure out what it is that's going on here. 
But if you're a skeptic this morning, my hope is this. My hope is that you'll evaluate the evidence that will lead you to repent of your sins and put your faith and your trust in Jesus who lived a perfect life, fully man, fully God, died a sinner's death, appeasing God the Father, and who by the power of the Holy Spirit rose from the grave and lives forever and ever. That's my hope for you. And I hope that we can stand together as brothers and sisters in the Lord and we can link arms in the very passage that Sarah up here kicked the service off with this morning. I pray that our confession can be the same as the Apostle Peter who said this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's close together in prayer. Heavenly Father, what we have is true and trustworthy. That very old confession that many people long before our time made and believed and held firm to. And so, God, I pray that you would cause us to hold firm to that confession and that our lives and our lips would reflect your identity. And God, I pray for the person who hasn't made a confession of faith. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in their lives. God, you, Lord, there's no person too far, too out of reach for your gospel. I'm reminded of that because you saved people like me. So, Lord, I pray that you would break away the stony hearts. You would give us a new heart a heart broken by the gospel. And Lord, that our love and our intimacy would grow more and more as you conform us into the image of Christ. And so thank you for your truth. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're going to transition into our offertory, if you're a guest with us, um, we don't want you to feel any pressure or obligation to give. This is just another way that... Um, the church lives out the confession that they make through being generous. And, uh, and we're actually going to show you uh, where some of your funds go. Uh, uh, the team just got back. We announced last week they, they returned from Honduras, and, uh, and they had a wonderful trip there. And we're going to show you a video that kind of highlights some of the work that they were doing over there. And I wanted to let you know it's in your bulletin, but on uh, October 11th, um, they're going to have a, um, it's a Saturday evening. Um, they're going to hold a time where they are able to tell you a lot more about the, uh, the things that God's doing over in Honduras. And so please, please attend that. And uh, I'm sure that you would be uh, extremely encouraged by that. Um, I wanted to let you know again, our uh, three services next week, 815, 945, 11:15. Um, we still need as many volunteers as we can get in kids' ministry. And so if that interests you, please write that in the tear-off and with your contact information. And Elena, our children's director, would love to touch base with you because going to three services really heighten the need for volunteers. And so please, please uh, partner with us in that ministry. And uh, with that said, take a look up here at the screen.
Stand up, we're gonna go out singing today. <laughs> 